So there in chapter 2 and verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We continue to thank you for it, that it's truth that we can hold in our hands. I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. You didn't have to do that, but you have showed us not only that you're there, uh, but who you are and how you uh, interact with us in this life. And we thank you that as we open your word today, uh, that you will teach us, uh, exhort us, admonish us. Uh, Lord God, warn us. And I thank you that you build us up in our faith as we seek you together in your scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So as I was getting ready and uh, studying this, and I'll get into more of it here in a minute, but um, I saw a video online of the Southern Miss football coach. Now, if, if you ever go look it up, make sure you know, I said the Southern Miss, not Ole Miss, because there's a bunch of videos of him. Uh, that may not, may or may not edify you, build you up. But this one was the Southern Miss football coach. It's a program that hadn't always done very well. Uh, but they hired uh, this guy, I believe this may be his first year there. Uh, if not, it's only his second. His name's Will Hall. And apparently he's from Mississippi and he's got a really thick Mississippi accent. So the reporter is asking him, you know, after a practice or before practice, they're out there, they're talking to the coach. So coach, you know, you are unapologetically, you know, Mississippi, you know, you sound like Mississippi, you look like Mississippi, you're Mississippi, you know, has any, you know, do the players pick at you about your accent? Does anybody have a good impression of you? And I won't try to imitate his accent, but it was very Mississippi. And he said, well, I don't really know about all of that. You know, I've lived in nine different states and I still talk like this. So the Lord must want me to talk like this. He said, I can't control that. He said, he made me this way. He made me this tall. He made me a little fat. That's just what I am. He said, but I try to focus on the things that I can control. And when I wake up every morning, I think about, I don't want anyone to have a worse day because they ran into me. I don't want anybody's day to be made worse because they ran into Will Hall. He said, at the end of my life, when they come to my funeral, I hope nobody's able to show up and say that one of their days that they lived here on this earth was worse because they ran into me. And, and obviously the flip side of that is that someone's day would be better because they ran into you. And I was like, I don't really think they were expecting to get that. You know, there was a little jokey thing. I was like, well, he really brought some truth and some encouragement there. And it, and it got me to thinking when somebody runs into me during the day, during the week, it just, just going through life, what are they getting? What are they getting? Is anybody leaving with their day worse because they ran into me or are they leaving with their day a little bit better because they ran into me? 
And, and I want you to keep that in mind, that question, as we go through not just the first part of the text we read, but what we're going to get to in just a second in chapter three. But we're still here in Acts. And remember, thankfully, Luke, who, who wrote the book of Acts under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us little summary sections in the text to remind us where we are and what's going on. So you have specific instances like the one we just saw where the Holy Spirit fell, Peter preached, many were called to repentance and believed. And then what we're about to get to, another specific instance. And then between those, he's telling us during this time, here's what was going on, here's what the church was doing. And they were soaking in the teachings of Jesus, the revelation that he was the Messiah. And that's coming through the apostles who had spent time with Jesus. And now they're led and empowered by the Holy Spirit Remember, Jesus told them in the book of John, chapter 16, that when the spirit came, he would lead them into all truth. And so that's beginning to happen. The things that he told them and taught them are being made alive in their hearts and minds now by the Holy Spirit brought to their remembrance, their meeting daily, breaking bread together. They're eating together. They're committing themselves to prayer. You see this this community developed that's marked by generosity and care for one another. Uh, they're meeting in the temple daily and then also in homes. They're joyful. They're sincere. And the Lord is continually adding to their number those that are being saved. And it says there's also there's all being built up around signs and wonders that are being performed through the apostles. And, and we're going to look at one of those signs, one of those wonders, a miracle today in Acts chapter three, as we continue to talk about the origin of the church. So just wanted to cover where they are, what they're doing, and then walk up to the first verse of Acts chapter three. And I'll read that. And then I want to talk about it for a few minutes. In chapter three and verse one, it says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. And in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. And at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened. So we move out of this, this time of summary into another specific event that took place in the life of the early church. And that's this lame man at the gate. Beautiful. And a lot of us have heard this one before, right? It's one of the first stories. It is the first story that you see after the spirit falls after Peter's sermon. Uh, so I believe there is some significance to it because it says there were many signs and wonders being worked out and performed through the apostles. But this is the one that it lists. And it says they went to the temple, Peter and John, they were going to the temple daily. They go about 3 p.m. 
Yours may say the ninth hour, the ninth hour after the sun came up. Difficult way to tell time, but okay. And that was a normal service time that we would think about. It was a normal time of community prayer and gathering there at the temple. So it would have been busy. There would have been people in and out all day. But this is a this is a specific time that people are coming to the temple. And it says there was this man who was lame from birth, who was carried there by others and laid in front of the gate to beg for alms. And now he may have even been disqualified from entering the temple. We know that he would have been disqualified because he was lame from at least entering into certain places in the temple, places that were reserved and holy. Nothing broken could go in. And it says he saw them and he asked for money. And they said, look here, look, look at us. Silver and gold I don't have or I'm not going to give you. But what I do have I will give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And a man who had never walked before, Peter reached down, grabbed him by the right hand and began to lift him up. And strength came into his legs that had never been there before. And he stood on his own two feet and walked with them into the temple. And as he's walking in, he gets a little bit more. Here he says he's walking and leaping and praising God. And everybody recognizes him. Hey, that's the dude who was just sitting at the gate, who always sits at the gate begging for alms. And here he is is walking in and says all and astonishment fills the people and what we'll get to in a minute when that happened Peter said now that I've got all y'all together let me tell you about Jesus now that y'all are paying attention let me talk to you about Jesus but we'll get to that part I want to talk about in this passage in Acts 3 something that Jesus does what does Jesus do and then what do we do and now he's important so he's going to go first and then we'll be Second, but you've got this man lame from birth and think about that. We read this story. There's a lame man sitting at the gate. But you think about a man, a grown man sitting at the gate who has never walked in his whole life. No strength in his legs, no ability to stand. It says he was lame from birth. And we talked a little bit about this Wednesday night, how we can read the scripture like it's all happening in a short period of time. But in in reality, this happened amongst real people whose lives were complex, whose lives were lived for years up to that point. And think about his life and his experience for a moment, because we want to remember that as we're looking at the timing of these stories. I'll even tell you, I read that from Acts one through Acts four took place over the course of about a year. And again, we read it and it's like, Holy Spirit failed. They had one meeting after that. And then the next day they're going to the temple and this happens with this guy. But it it was over the course of a year that these things are happening, reminding us that a lot of life is built up in ordinary walking with God. But this man, lame from birth, laid at the gate. Again, he's not even inside the temple. He's left outside. He has lived a life of brokenness, having to beg for what he needs because he's unable to do for himself. He has no ability. He cannot get up. And they didn't even have, you know, we have the the grace now of medical equipment, things like wheelchairs that did not exist. Somebody had to go pick him up and probably physically carry him or otherwise put him in some type of a cart that wasn't made for a person to ride in. And bring him to the temple. He had no ability. He couldn't stand on his own. That's not hard for a preacher to read that and make a connection to how God finds us in our life and our heart 
as we enter this world, right? He was lame from birth and we are stricken just like he was, but with sin in our hearts. We talked last week about the ideas of home and exile, that home is a place where we experience lasting comfort and peace and rest and acceptance. Again, lasting not, not temporary, not fleeting, but lasting. And we know that it exists because we ache for it on the inside, this idea of home. And then exile is to know home exists and to not yet be in it. And those are major themes in Scripture. And so you see a heart in exile and we know what that feels like to desire goodness, righteousness, perfection in life, but not finding ourselves the ability to bring it about. This man wanted things, but he didn't have strength even in his legs to stand up and go about daily life. And here he is at the temple gate begging others for the lesser because the ultimate need that he had, I'm sure he just saw as unfathomable that it would ever be made right. I've always been like this. How could I ever be any different? This is the only thing that I know. This is the best that I know. And we can recognize what it's like to feel that in our heart, right? To be broken down, to not have what we need and not even to have the ability to bring it about. But this day, he was brought to the temple every day. Didn't it say that? He was placed at the temple each day at the gate called Beautiful. But this day was different. Something was going to happen today, even though he was there each day. And we read earlier in at the end of chapter 2 that who was going to the temple each day? The apostles were. The disciples were. Right? So they would have passed by him likely. We can assume that. They're going to the temple. He's placed at the temple. We've crossed paths before. This isn't the first time that this has happened, but today would be different. Today he saw Peter and John coming in and he asked them for money. He asked them for alms, which is basically saying, will you, a follower of Yahweh, take pity on me and to honor him, give me something that will ease my suffering today? Right. That's what alms are. Will you out of the goodness of your heart, pity for me to honor him? Will you give me something that will ease my suffering, my hardships for today? Because, again, why would he ask for anything more than today? It would have been impossible in his mind. And when he asks them for that, it says they looked at him. Now, if they saw him before, today was different. They looked at him and said, look at us. Look at me. Look here. Look up. So that tells me what he's looking down like. If y'all could just if you could please. Why? Because there's some shame in that. You know, have you ever asked anybody? Have you ever had to stand out in front of a store or something like that? You're asking for donations like with a little white bucket. You're raising money for something. It's hard. For, people don't want to look you in the eye, do they? <laughs> and you don't really want to look them in the eye. You're like, I feel kind of weird, even though this isn't going to me. But there's a shame there. On this man's head, he's looking down and, and Peter, you know, calls him pretty forcefully. Hey, look up. Look at me. Look at us. And he says, I don't have silver and I don't have any gold. And I don't know if this was like we, we say when we're walking into Walmart and somebody stops us. and We go, hey, I only got my debit card. Sorry, I don't carry any cash on me. Y'all do that, too, don't you? Yeah. And then one time they told you, hey, it's OK. We take debit cards. And you're like, ooh, <laughs> OK. 
And I don't know if he was saying that I, I, I literally physically don't have any silver and gold or if his point was, I could give you all the silver and gold, brother, and it's not going to get you what you actually need. But he said, silver and gold, I don't have. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. Now, again, remember, he asked them for money. He just asked them for money. He asked them for something that would ease his suffering for today. That, that would just ease it for today. Because I believe that that was the best that he was hoping for. Remember, he was only there because somebody picked him up and carried him there. That was the only time he felt like he was moving around and getting something done was when somebody had to physically carry him there. But he asked for money, something that would ease his suffering today, and he got his life transformed by Jesus. Peter takes him by the hand and then weak became strong miraculously. Legs that had never stood before gained the strength to stand in this man who had never walked. We don't even know if he'd been inside the temple. We don't know if he was, unless somebody carried him inside, he wasn't getting in. We don't know if they were doing that. He was left outside of the place where you would go to commune with God and to worship him rightly. And he's left outside. But when Peter lifts him up, strength returns to his or comes to his legs for the very first time. He stands up and the first place he goes is he walks into the temple with the praise of God on his lips. Now, more often than not, when we when we've read this or when we've taught on this, we focus a lot on the apostles. Hey, that was awesome. But it seems to me like we identify at least for a whole lot more of our life with the man who's lame on the ground, begging for what he needs today and not able to get it accomplished on his own. We benefit from remembering that we share much more of a likeness with this man whose name we don't know. Because the book of Romans tells us in chapter five that while we were still helpless, while we were without strength or lame, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then it goes on to say, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That we're declared righteous by his blood, having been reconciled with God through him, that we rejoice. Just like the man went into the temple rejoicing because the impossible had happened. His, his disability became an ability and he began to worship God. We never want to forget how lame we were in our sins and how awesome he was to bring us out of it. Amen. We've come to Christ. We may have come not asking for alms, right? We might have showed up and said, I really want uh, my, this relationship to be better. I've got a really big problem in my health right now. I really want it to be better. I, I've got this really big issue uh, in my finances or in my home right now. I just want it to be better. Maybe we came asking for alms. Jesus, I've heard that you're good. And if you could just alleviate my suffering in this area for today, all oh, that would be awesome. We might have come asking alms that he wouldn't ease our suffering for today and then found out that he came to bring strength to all of our weakness, to heal our defects that we had had since birth and to raise us up to the glory of his name. Because that's what this man began to do, walking, leaping and praising 
God. Did y'all ever learn that song when you were little? Little Sunday school song. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He held out his palms and asked for alms. This is what Peter did say. You know? Silver and gold have I none. Such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He went walking and le I'm, I'm still going. <laughs> I mean, y'all are loving it. Need auto-tune maybe on my microphone. Walking and leaping and praising God. He went walking and leaping and praising God. He, he, he stands up. He's never stood before and he walks into the temple. And I just see that picture of from exile to home. Again, home breaking into our exile in through the person and work of Jesus Christ and what he did and what he did in the hearts of these men and women who were his first followers. The promise of home cracking into that exile. When we think the best we can ask for or hope for is just something that will make our suffering a little bit better for today. He steps in and gives us strength when all we've known is weakness. That's what he does. We talk about what does Jesus do? That is what he does. And that's why we talk about him first, because what he does makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. And in that, there's still a part two. What he does and then what we do. Those of us who have already laid weak outside the temple, that he gave miraculous strength, raised us up when we were without strength. Christ died for the ungodly. He made us right with God through his blood. And we rejoice because of it. But remember the question we started with, what's someone getting when they run into you? When they run into you, this man ran into Peter and John. What is someone getting when they run into you? Is their day better? Is their day worse? And there's different measures of that, right? Or is there no difference at all? Is it just a neutral interaction? Which in reality is leaning more towards the negative, isn't it? Jesus told his disciples at the end of the book of Luke, before his ascension, he said, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in my name, in the name of the Messiah, to all nations beginning in Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. He was telling them that this new life that you're going to experience, you're a witness to the fact that it has happened, that I was raised and I have now brought you who were lame, who were weak into my strength. Now go and tell others. Be witnesses of who I am and what I have done. So reading this little passage, who healed the man? Who healed the man? And you don't even have to guess. We can go further down in the text and Peter tells us who did it. In verse 11, it says, while the man was still holding on to Peter and John, all the people utterly astonished ran toward them in what's called Solomon's colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people and he said, fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? And why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? He said, why are y'all looking at us like, I, like, like we did this? 
He said, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Verse 16, by faith in his name, the name of Jesus, his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. Who healed the man? Jesus. Jesus healed the man. Who looked him in the eye? Peter looked him in the eye. Who said, look up at me? Look me in the eye. Who said that? Peter's voice said that. Who reached down and grabbed his hand and lifted him up? Peter's hand did that, right? Peter's hand picked him up. Jesus was the one that healed him, but Peter's the one that touched him. Peter gave Jesus the space that he was standing in. Peter gave Jesus his voice. Peter gave Jesus his eyes. Peter gave Jesus his hand and his strength. Not in some weird possession type way, but in an act of worship to God, said, I'll stand as your witness right here and I'll proclaim your name for your glory. Right? We call it the hands and feet of Jesus, the body of Christ. Peter stood there and touched the man. Jesus is the one that healed him. Peter's the one that says, I'll give you what I have. The best that I have is the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And then took him by the hand and helped him up. Peter helped him up. Jesus kept him up. You can help people up without putting the pressure on yourself to be the one to keep them up. Because you can't do it. You can't do it. You can help them up. Jesus has to keep them up. He has to be the one to keep them up. Don't put that on yourself. Because it will wear you out. You're not him, but you are his witness. Peter helped him up. Jesus kept him up. I can't keep you up, but I can introduce you to the one who can. I can give you the name of the I can give you a name of somebody that can. Jesus healed the man. But in verse 11, look who he's holding on to. It said while he was still holding on to Peter and John, I don't know if he was still like learning how to do this or if he was just so happy at what had happened that he just can't let go of the ones that introduced him to Jesus. He's still holding on to them. Again, we can't do what only he can do but he's given us something to do and that's be his witnesses to be his hands and feet, to carry his name into the places where we go. Carrying his name into the places we go. How is somebody's day when they run into you? Not just strangers, strangers too. people that, you know, people that you're close to people that you're not close to people that have set themselves against you. Y'all got any people like that in your life? just me. You have people that just decide, I don't like him. I don't like him. 
I want to hurt him. Isn't that weird how that happens? We've had that happen in our heart and mind, hadn't it? But you see that, how is it going when you run into these people? Are they having a better day because they ran into you? Or is their day going much, much worse because they ran into you? Is there more Jesus in their life because you've been around? And again, that doesn't mean we ha- there, there's still such a thing as the truth in love. Remember, we don't withhold truth, but we don't withhold love and dignity and respect from people. And when they encounter that love and dignity and respect, even if they know you don't agree with them or what they're doing or what they've done, there's a mark there because you just don't get that. That is something that is uniquely part of Jesus and who he is and what he does. Again, we don't withhold truth, but we don't withhold love and dignity and respect. Is somebody's day got more Jesus in it because you were around? And that mean you got to walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You know, they may call somebody. They may. But what are you bringing into their day when you run into them? Well, think about that. So we'll close with the way that Peter closed. Now, Peter had their attention now because my man who's been lame out by the gate, who's never walked before in his life, he's walking and that's drawing attention. Now, look what Peter did with it. He didn't say, y'all see that? Go get every lame man you know and bring him up here. He didn't say that. He said, now that I have all y'all's attention, I want to tell you about Jesus. That was the first thing he said. He said, why are y'all looking at me? This this has nothing to do with me. This has everything to do with Jesus. And and, And I think about what it would have been like for that to happen in front of so many people and how we're tempted to grab some of that glory for ourselves. You see what that happened? You see what happened to me? I touched him and he got up. I'm going to put it on my Instagram story. Let everybody know. Right? There's the temptation there to do that. But Peter's like, no, 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 no. See, he understood. He said, it's not, it didn't happen in my name. It didn't happen in my power. So I'm not going to let you give me any glory for it. While I have your attention, though, let me tell you about the one who did it. Let me tell you about him. It was Jesus whom you handed over, who you denied before Pilate, even though he had decided to release him. You said you wanted Barabbas instead of Jesus, even though Barabbas was a murderer and Jesus hadn't done anything wrong. He said, and you crucified, you killed the source of life. Yours may say the prince of life. You killed him, but God raised him up incorruptible. And we are his witnesses. Now, when I was reading this, which I knew how, I knew where it went, but I told you, you know, we, we need to set some things aside when we come to the text to go, all right, Lord, Lord, teach me something here. Show me something about your glory and your goodness here. Now, he had just called them on the carpet for doing a lot of things wrong. This would, you know, we talk about calling down fire and some of the disciples wanted to do that. You know, James and John said, can we call down fire on them? Because they're being ugly to us. Is it time to like judge all of these people, Jesus? Because we really want to do some judging. 
And Peter has laid this out. He is telling them the absolute truth. Y'all, he came as the Savior, the source of life, and you rejected him and you killed him. And he's sitting there, some power has just been exercised. You would think, hey, this would be a cool time to just go, and now you're all going to roast. He's going to flood this whole room and all of you are going to drown to be punished for what you did. Right? That makes sense to us. That makes sense to us, but that's not what he said. What did he say? If you read on down, he said, brothers and sisters, you acted in ignorance when you did this, just like your leaders did. What's he telling them? He's like, you did all of this because of how lost you are. You are lost in your ignorance. You're lost in your doubt. You're just lost in it. And so were your leaders. He said, but that's okay. God still fulfilled what he had predicted through the prophets that the Messiah would suffer. He said he accomplished his work. What you meant for evil, God actually intended for good and good has come about. And then he said, so because of that, therefore, remember, therefore, because of everything I just said, I just told you how awful you are and how awesome God is. And because of all those things I just said, you need to repent. Repent means to think again, to turn from what you thought before to the higher way of to turn back to God's way of thinking. Therefore, repent. Why? So that your sins may be wiped out. Again, not so that you'll be roasted, not so that we're going to call down fire and finally show y'all that Jesus was right and y'all were wrong. You should have listened to us. He said, therefore, repent that your sins would be wiped out and that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that we were not just lame. We weren't just weak, but we were also rebels against the throne of God. We tried to sit in his seat for ourselves. We want the glory to be ours. We want the control to be ours. We want the power to be ours. We had a traitor's heart and we did not love him. And he's saying, you, you rejected him. You betrayed him. You killed the source of life. You tried to assassinate and exterminate him. But now repent so that he'll forgive your sins. Just change the way that you think. Repent. He will forgive your sins. He will wipe them out. And then what's coming? Times of refreshing from the throne of God. He's like, repent so that you can know home in Christ. Mercy and grace rains down instead of judgment in Jesus Christ. And that is amazing. That's amazing. Because did they deserve to be forgiven? No. Did I? No. Did you? Uh-uh. No. No. But it wasn't about how deserving you were. It was about how deserving he was. Because he's the one that died for you. He's the one that gave you his righteousness, taking your sin. That is the gospel. And Peter's preaching it. And you know what happened? The leaders that were there, they still got upset. They said the Sadducees and the leaders, oh, let me go over to it. Let me go over to it. He talks about how he, it's been prophesied and God raised up his servant and sent him first to bless you. By turning each of you from your evil ways. And then chapter four, and we covered it a little bit today, but chapter four, verse one, while they're still speaking to the people, 
He's still preaching. The priests, the captain of the temple police and the Sadducees confronted him because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people, number one, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they didn't like somebody else teaching. They're supposed to teach. They didn't like them teaching Jesus because they were the ones that tried to get rid of Jesus. And they sure didn't like the resurrection from the dead. Like y'all are hitting the trifecta. It says, so they seized them and took them into custody, arrested them until the next day since it was already evening. They got arrested during the middle of the sermon. And yet, many of those who heard the message believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. Can you imagine that? Preacher preaching, Jesus, you need to get saved. You're sinful, you're weak, you're lame. You did all these things, but turn to him. Have your sins blotted out because God raised him from the dead. I'm the witness. And then they come in and arrest the preacher. And on his way out, he's like, anybody interested in this? This stuff that you get arrested for? And 5,000 people go, me too. Yes. Why? Because the spirit was moving. And piercing hearts. When the truth went for, forward and they heard it. It wasn't just a speech, but it was a life. And it pierced their heart. And faith grew and they said, I believe that. Even though, obviously, this is going to bring about some persecution. This is going to cause some problems. Isn't that amazing? That's the power of the gospel. It's not a message. It's, it's a message that doesn't make sense. We've tried to make it make sense. We try to make it cool. We try to make it nice. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense why people would flock to it, except that it's absolutely true in life. Why people would come and go, I'm a sinner. I'm lame. I can't do anything outside of him. He had to die so that I could live. And living in Christ, as Paul told us, anyone who wants to live a life in Christ is going to experience persecution. Hey, I'm still going to sign up for it. Hey, look, your life in this is going to be difficult out in the world. Oh, OK. Nope. Still signing up. Why? Because I found something that feels like home. When all I've known was exile. When all I've known was exile. So never forget what Jesus does, what only he can do. And then we also want to remember what he's called us to do in his name and in his Likeness. We don't want to get it mixed up. There's things that if I try to do what only he can do, I'm going to fail. I'm going to hurt myself. I'm going to disappoint others. But if I let him do through me what only he can do and I show up and do what he's asked me to do. When I go from lame to healed to carrying it out into the places he has put me in as his witness, amazing things are going to happen. Amazing things are going to happen. This is what we have available to us as Christians. We should not be bored. We shouldn't be bored and discontent as a Christian. If you are, let me know. We've got things you can connect with. We've got things you can lock into where you can begin to see these things happen in real life and in real time. People who were in darkness come to light. People who were lame and weak in every part of their life, their character, their actions, everything about them. And Jesus raised them up to strength. You can see that happen. 
You can, be, you can give him your voice. Give him your eyes. Give him your heart. Give him your hands. Give him your feet and watch what he'll do with it. Don't be bored as a Christian. There's no reason for it. You've got opportunity. And again, if you're, if you're ready, if that's you, if you're like, I've just been, I just been, we got things we can plug you into right away. And you can begin to see that happen. And you can begin to carry out the mission that he's put you on as a witness. Because maybe the reason you're discontent is you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. He's got on the inside of you a purpose. And if you're not walking in that, that's going to be some of the discontent. And now here's the thing. You don't get to tell him what your purpose is. <laughs> he tells you. He tells you and you show up and go, hey, I remember how I was when you found me. I'll listen to whatever you have to say. I'll go talk to anybody. I'll go anywhere and do anything if it's for your name and your glory and the good of those around me. Because again, it's his name, his power, so it's his glory. I don't keep any of it. Don't do that. That's a bad idea. But when you give it to him, you'll never be, never be more satisfied. Again, life ain't easy. Peter and John got arrested. Some stuff's going to happen. You deal with some difficulties. There is real darkness out there. And when the light begins to shine, it fights against it because it's contrary to it. It's the nature of it. But Jesus said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. There's some friction there, but it won't take you down. Amen. Talk about friction. Y'all got quiet. I'll, I'll, I'll stop. I'll stop. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that when we open it, we see who you are and we see what you do. And we're reminded what you have done in our life. Lord, that we would understand how wide and how deep your love is for us. That you're able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And we've seen some of that in our own life. I thank you that though we were outside, we were outside the gates. We were lame and unable to do for ourselves. When we were without strength, when we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly so that we could be reconciled to you. That when you reached your hand down and grabbed hold of us, strength came into us from you that we didn't know before and we've not known its likeness since. There's nothing like you. And I thank you for that miraculous work that you've done on the inside of us. And Lord, that we would be your witnesses in the world that you've deposited us into. That when we run into people, their day would be better because of it. Not because we're awesome, but because you are. And we've spent a lot of time with you. That when we carry your name out into this life, that days are made better. Hearts are made new. And lives are made whole because of who you are and because of what you do. Thank you that we get to be a part of it. Lord, for any that are discontent, bored as Christians, I thank you, Father, that you put on the inside of them a motor to go and a heart for those who were outside like we once were. Peter knew what it was like to be on the outside and for Jesus himself to reach out and grab him. And he extended that same hand to the lame man at the gate. It was just Peter's hand, but it was the same power that he, that he experienced in Christ because of what He did and because He sent the Spirit. We can know You on an individual level. We thank You for that. 
as we get ready to go today, I thank you that you protect your people, keep us safe. Lord, that your people are blessed, coming and going, in and out. Lord, that favor is upon them with the people. And Lord, those things that you've put in our hearts that have to do with ministry, that have to do with your kingdom advancing in this area where we are, Lord, that you would bless those desires. Lord, that you would refine those plans and that you would empower them to prosper in the name of Jesus. Lord, as the light goes out, it's your light, it's your love. I thank you that we get to carry it. Let us not mishandle it, but let us deliver it rightly and take the power where it needs to go, which is out into this world. And then I thank you that your kingdom will come and your will will be done among us on earth as it is in your heaven where you rule and reign, that you'll rule and reign out of our hearts into every area that we touch. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name.